MiseryTourism.com's Misery Movies Podcast. And um, this week, we are going to be discussing Darren Aronofsky's film, I think I got that right, Mother. Um, we are, this is our second, the second film we are going to be discussing in our 2018 Halloween movie marathon. We did this last year. It was a huge success in that we were able to continue to do it (laughs) and not in the sense of like we got any listeners or anything off of it. But uh, so anyway, I'm Will and this episode I am joined by Misery Tourism co-founder Rudy. Hey. Who's currently presenting as an anthropomorphic witch girl? Well, I guess not anthropomorphic, as an anime witch girl. I mean, I guess yeah. your anthropomorphic would assume that you, she wasn't all human, although she certainly yeah. doesn't look all human. Anyway, also joining us is uh, Misery Tourism contributor Sarah. Hey guys. And uh, Misery Tourism resident horror expert horror movie expert i don't fucking know i'm creating a <laughs> fictional title for you uh brandon i deal mostly in fictional titles so that works <laughs> so yeah so usually we structure these podcasts in a kind of bifurcated way in that we usually have the first half of the podcast where we discuss um the movie in a totally spoiler free way and then the second half of the podcast where we do a deeper dive into the film and um cover specific scenes and plot twists and stuff and generally that half is full of spoilers we're going to do something a little bit different this week so (laughs) in discussing this film before we started the podcast we realized that Essentially, every moment of this podcast, starting with literally, excuse me, every moment of this film, starting with literally the first scene, is a potential spoiler. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, So that said, if you haven't seen the movie, maybe go watch the movie before you start the podcast, because we are going to kick right into the spoiler section off the bat. And uh, for this discussion, anything goes. So if you really want to see Mother, which I recommend, absolutely, um, and you don't want to be spoiled, which I also recommend given the kind of movie it is, mm-hmm. just go watch it. Come back, listen to the podcast, or don't listen to the podcast. Listen, we're not getting paid for this. <laughs> <laughs> but if you do want to listen to the podcast, um, watch the movie, come back. If you've already seen the movie, great. Stick around. All right, so Brandon, this was your pick for this year's Halloween movie marathon. I had to redeem myself for last year. Oh, (laughs) now Brandon, I thought personally, I thought um, that incredibly amateurish basement basement 
RPG horror film or whatever it was, um, was uh, okay. I was gonna say a masterpiece, but that's not true. Yeah, but you know what it was. On. You know what it absolutely <laughs> was, Brandon. What was it that? Was better than Sarah's choice last year, which uh, did not even show up on the podcast to <laughs> fucking discuss with us. Wait, what was my choice? I totally forgot. Uh, you made us watch Zombievers. <laughs> Oh, hell yeah. The you best did. movie ever. You did. You did. <laughs> I didn't watch it. <laughs> you may not get a choice this year because there's a little bit of like, you, we no longer trust you. Oh, come on. Are you saying not you do not enjoy Zombievers? Not only because you picked Zombie such a bad movie, but because you didn't show up to discuss it. I with was sick, Well, I was very sick. <laughs> so were we after watching that movie. Hey, that was a brilliant film. They knew exactly what they were doing. They, um, the sad thing is, I'm sure they did. Yeah, they did. <laughs> yeah, they they did. Yes. So, Brandon, um. Okay, you're on the hot seat. Yeah, here. yeah. What the hell is this? Mother <laughs> is, is this uh, <laughs> mother is a very, very interesting psychological slash supernatural thriller, in my opinion. Mm. And my opinion is more on the slash rather than just saying one or the other, because mm -hmm. really, it's almost two movies in one, in terms okay. of tone. It starts off deeply psychological. It's almost claustrophobic in a lot of ways, I think. And then it becomes something else entirely. And it's just spectacular to watch it unfold as it transitions from being a normal, a normal home invasion movie into this brilliantly executed allegory. Yes, but just in case our listeners didn't actually listen to us, in case they didn't watch the movie, yes. can you just very quickly, what's the premise of the film? Okay, so the premise is, uh, of course, starring two fantastic actors, yeah. uh, Jennifer Lawrence and Javier Bardem as the principal married couple restoring an old home that are visited upon one evening by a traveling surgeon played by Ed Harris mm. who winds up just leading into all sorts of mischief and mayhem later visited upon by his wife played by Michelle Pfeiffer again cannot stress enough the outstanding cast that they had to, for this movie yes Which leads to <laughs> the sun's showing up more havoc the family's showing up, more havoc. Then all sorts of shit goes down. Mm. She winds it up does. conceiving a child. There is <laughs> yeah, yet another home on. We don't need to necessarily <laughs> go into that. Yeah. But yeah. you're I mean, this the premise of this movie. Um, <laughs> It's hard to summarize because there is so much that goes on in such a short amount of time. Yes, yeah, I, and by design, right? Yeah. But you've and all yet heard it doesn't feel rushed, right? You've all heard the nursery rhyme 
you know, there once was an old lady who swallowed a fly, right? <laughs> it's dr- or yes. One of my personal favorite children's stories, if you gave a mouse a cookie, this is mm. in some ways yes. like yes. that. In that you have this kind of um, snowballing series of events where one mm-hmm. small act of like, empathy or kindness or generosity snowballs out of control into this absolutely catastrophic series of events where (laughs) it's like putting russian nesting dolls back inside each other (laughs) (laughs) yes yeah where you know she she ends up swallowing the spider to catch the flyer in this case um Ed Harris, you would let Ed Harris into the house and his wife shows up and as you said soon his whole family's there and then soon all of humanity is there right Mm. yeah and um, all hell breaks loose. Literally. Literally. I like that you used the phrase home invasion, Brandon, because I actually wrote that down in my notes while I was watching this. Oh, yeah. Uh, for, for me, this movie, it wasn't scary, but it was very anxiety-inducing because oh, yes. <laughs> I just kept yes. wanting her to kill somebody because I knew it was going to spiral out of control as soon as he showed up and you could you could see it was going to get a little crazy and then michelle pfeiffer showed up as the wife like oh goddamn no no um so it was it was definitely for me for like the first half of this film it was about a very kind of subtle home invasion where they're not breaking in they have been invited but not by you and it was just very it was very stressful because you could see her stress, but oh, she's yeah. not exactly uh, discussing it. And it's not being, oh, he doesn't really le- legitimize it. He doesn't think it is anything to worry about. So for mm-hmm. me, that was that was the horrific part of this movie, <laughs> which is that he just did not care at all. Oh, absolutely. What she was yeah. going through and that these people were being disrespectful and destroying things and these horrible things were happening. So it was it was a very yeah. interesting watch. Almost that almost that uh moment of oh no nothing weird is going on. You're crazy. <laughs> You're going crazy. It's it's all in your head. Right. Yeah the I mean the home invasion angle is interesting and not something that I really thought about that much before we started listening but there's actually a whole kind of like like genre or subgenre of horror mm-hmm. film right that's like the mm-hmm. home invasion horror film or the unwanted guest horror film guest yes, horror film absolutely. going all the way back mm-hmm. to um you know whether or not you want to call this a horror movie or not um bergman's masterpiece the virgin spring right which Mm. was then brandon you'll probably know this um sort of remade as an honest to goodness horror film as the last house on the left yes which was then remade uh, again as the last house on the left (laughs) but but, i mean you and um there are so many movies that especially horror movies that rest upon this idea of mm-hmm. either like you pick up a hitchhiker, right? Or yeah, you absolutely. let someone into your home even willingly. I mean, even we were, we were it's, watching it's, uh, a stranger danger, stranger danger. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, yeah. that's also the cusp of like a lot of vampire films too. Oh, absolutely. Right? We watched the mm-hmm. vampire movie last week, like the idea that you have to invite them in, but once they've been mm-hmm. invited in, they're going to fuck you up. And so that angle like on this, I think is really 
really interesting and like gives me a segue to ask you, Brandon, a point blank question. Although oh, right. um, Sarah and Rudy can certainly feel free to jump in on this if they want. Now, here's the thing, Brandon. <laughs> this is a Halloween movie marathon. Yes. <laughs> Do you consider this a horror movie? I would definitely consider this a horror movie. Um, personally, my criteria for what makes a great horror film are, does it instigate an emotional response? Does it reflect some aspect of human nature that is toward the darker side, toward the less savory does it have some element of not only reality, but also something that you don't quite feel would happen, even if it's something that is entirely possible. And as far as the twist goes, nothing in the world is scarier to me than religion. Uh. <laughs> So you uh, and that reminds me, Brandon, I am so happy that you opted for this movie instead of like Red State or something. Yeah, because I was yeah. dreading that you were going to like make make me watch <laughs> it. But instead, you actually picked a movie that I've seen before and that I really enjoyed. Yeah. But yeah, I, I don't know uh, what uh, Rudy, let me get you in, in on this one. Do you think this is a horror movie? I uh I absolutely think it is a horror movie, uh, complete with jump scares every time the camera jerks around a corner or does something, yeah, you know, different. Yeah. I think it was definitely some kind of uh some kind of interesting stuff going on there. Can I jump in? Yeah, sure. All right, I'm gonna be the odd one out this time. It was a very interesting film, but for me, it was not horror. Because again, I didn't find it scary, but I did find it very stressful. Because <laughs> yeah. I do not like people being in my home. And uh, the fact that all these people were invading her home and the, the thing that she took pride and joy in, I was super anxious. <laughs> I was yeah. feeling very yeah. violent emotions. <laughs> I was like, bitch, just stab everybody in the neck. Or shoot everybody. I don't care. Just get them out of your house. Bury them in that basement. No. Um, but yeah, but for me, this this wasn't strictly horror. I can see where it would slide into that category, though. Um, but it, def it definitely evoked a lot of strong emotions for me personally, mm -hmm. which is I like that because I, I've watched like films that are categorized as horror strictly, and they have not evoked any oh, emotion yeah. whatsoever, except maybe boredom. So yeah. I, I really appreciated that about this film. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, I um going to admit, when I watched this movie for the first time a few months ago, it would never have occurred to me to categorize this as a horror film. But watching it again now um, in this context, like what Rudy brought up about the camera work – like really caught me this time around. Like the first oh, time yeah. I watched it, I was like, oh yeah, this is kind of like 
like a um, allegorical film. This is a film about psychological stress, like Sarah was saying, mm -hmm. but it wouldn't have really, I wouldn't have said, oh yeah, that's a horror film. But watching it now, just like Rudy said, there are literal jump scares in this movie. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. It, it, in fact, in the well, well executed really, jump scares. First, yeah. <laughs> not really the first scene in the movie, but um, very, very near the beginning of the movie is a jump scare. Oh, yeah. When she mm -hmm. first encounters um, her husband. Yeah. Right when he comes up behind her, and that was a very—it's a very cliched kind of jump scare too. Mm. Um, but so that, like, the camera work, as I said, oh, like yeah. makes me think of a horror movie. But also, there's something almost, almost like—and this it isn't in and of itself kind of a cliche, but. There's something almost Hitchcockian kind of about the construction mm -hmm. of this film and the way tension is played mm -hmm. in this film. Yeah. And certainly also this film has um, the supernatural elements you would expect mm -hmm. from a horror film. And even the whole idea of like a living house <laughs> yeah, it's something that's been explored oh, by yeah. horror before. Yeah, although it's certainly handled in a different way here, and the and there are some like legitimately gross little pieces of um special effects work here oh, too, God, like yeah. you would expect. In oh, yeah. two in particular are really. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean. I mean, I feel like this entire movie should have a trigger warning on it. Yeah, mm. basically. <laughs> <laughs> because there are so many elements of it that if anyone has any form of PTSD, this movie can hit almost every single one. I was just thinking <laughs> of that too, PTSD. <laughs> oh. I mean, I, maybe, and we might all have different triggers for this too. We oh, might absolutely. All have yeah. For me, honestly, it was, it really was like the people coming into the house. Yeah, yeah. Like the I scene mean, where you have the people on the sink, and she said, "Hey, get off of that! It's not braced." Yeah. And keep like getting keep on, and on it. Just this thing yeah. totally break it, yeah. and then you break the pipes. Yeah. I'm like, oh, I'm God, going yeah. crazy, and I'm just, I'm literally just sitting on the couch, and I'm just like, no, <laughs> I can't watch this anymore. It's too much. Oh, that's yeah. my, that was my trigger. <laughs> it was jarring. I mean, yeah. some parts of it were just jarring. Oh God. Just... Yes. And I'm sure for the the scene with the baby, I mean, I'm sure that was very oh, triggering. So many, people. so many people would have such a hard right. time watching that scene. <laughs> yes. So uh, anyone who hasn't watched the movie yet, there's a scene you may want to skip. <laughs> skip the last like half an hour. If if you like babies, um, yeah, you probably don't want to see that part. <laughs> Listen, though, I'm going to be totally frank and upfront and honest here. That scene you were describing with the sink was mm. so much more upsetting to me than watching that baby get dismembered. <laughs> oh, here. Me too. Yeah. I'm a horrible person. But that was so much worse to me because it was so deliberate with the characters. Yeah. They were so deliberately well, And that's the to thing, though, her. too. Yeah. This is, the, yeah. this is where I love that. Because if you look at the tradition of cinema, we are desensitized 
the ties to blood and gore and violence. Mm -hmm. Yes. Even in a situation like that where it is definitely in done in the extreme. Right. We are so desensitized and so used to seeing blood and gore that yeah, some of us are going to have a reaction to that. We're not desensitized to someone ignoring when we say, "Please don't sit on that." <laughs> You're yeah. not braced. Exactly. Yeah. Don't no. do that. Please don't do that. You just fucking broke it. You just <laughs> broke all of the pipes in our kitchen. Our kitchen is now flooding. What's wrong with you assholes? What are you doing? Why are you in my house? Yeah. And not yeah. only that, but they don't give a shit. They don't and, care. Yeah, they don't, they don't help you. They're just sniggering. That's and it's just I'm it. like, I would murder everybody in that house, including the husband, because I hate him oh, so much. <laughs> everybody would die. <laughs> <laughs> and I would just be a single mother. I mean, no. This, no. Sarah, this you're film you is a dystheist dream. <laughs> it really this is. movie felt extreme. It felt so. It felt oh, so yeah. exaggerated. Yeah, uh, Sarah, you definitely. were saying that you would literally murder God. That's I what would I'm murder God. Well, I'm an atheist <laughs> anyway, so he doesn't exist. Uh. I would fucking murder him for letting all that shit happen. And I feel that way about what he's done to the world. So yes. <laughs> Honestly, the first half of this movie uh, was so disturbing to me uh, oh, that the the second half was like a breeze. Like when <laughs> I saw them like breaking into the house and the police and shit. Well, that's just it. The, the part with them eating the baby. I mean oh, that God. that was all downhill from there. Yeah. You know, for me, you get I, to the point where this is what we're used to. Right. Yeah. That's, I that's can process bad. this. Yeah. Ex exactly. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I mean, now that you say that, I actually, I, I agree with you, Rudy. And in, in fact, it is notable that this film is broken up into two discrete chunks, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? And for me, that first chunk, for the most part, is a lot more unnerving and upsetting than the second Absolutely. chunk. The second mm -hmm. chunk, chunk is actually parts of it are really incredibly inventive yeah and like it's a rush to watch mm -hmm. that part of the film and to watch like mm -hmm. the way the house is transformed into a literal war zone yeah <laughs> with and like you know um hooded executions <laughs> and like yeah. detainment areas and like that is just like thrilling but it is thrilling oh, yeah. you know mm -hmm. which yeah. is so different from the first part of the film which allow like to be thrilled and even to some degree to be horrified is a positive emotion mm -hmm. and i know that sounds fucked no, up absolutely but that's yeah. it gives you a kind of adrenaline kick right mm -hmm. and that's mm -hmm. what most horror films live off of that kind of mm -hmm. adrenaline kick kick that comes from a jump scare or that comes from watching this really ungodly series of events unfold and not knowing where it's going to go yep and the oh, half of the film does not offer you that kind of adrenal escape mm. it i'm not gonna say that no. it's the so, absolute yeah. just most like <laughs> it's the grind of having like the oh, anxiety yeah. grind of having to encounter other human beings who are innately obnoxious and having to tolerate them. <laughs> yeah. And the fact that this film dares to do that, dares to give mm. maybe more of its running time mm. to that, 
is oh. I, I say bravo to that. Absolutely. Films today, especially in a market that's flooded with fucking films that are designed to make people feel good or to make mm-hmm. people feel bad in that kind of adrenal way. Like, yeah, fuck you, make- Conjuring. <laughs> but I mean, fuck that whole series. Hey, I love that series, Brandon. Fuck you. <laughs> now we're getting somewhere. <laughs> but no, I mean, so so many movies are designed to give you like positive emotions mm-hmm. or positive, positive emotions feedback. masquerading as negative emotions, right? To get your heart racing mm-hmm. and to get you engaged. To have a a movie that doubles down so completely on making the audience oh, yeah. feel anxious and shitty and uncomfortable. Uncomfortable. <laughs> like, I love yeah. that. And in a way that ramped up consistently. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was the best part for me. It was just that constant build and build and build and a crescendo until it's just this explosion. Mm-hmm. Literal, yeah. literally oh, yeah. an explosion. Yeah. Literally. Like it really the was the, the, <laughs> yeah. the first half of this movie was oppression, and then the rest of it was oh, yeah. the release of it. It was so violent, right. the police. It, yeah, no, you 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 couldn't help but feel it, and and you knew it was coming too the whole time. Oh, yeah. You knew you were getting yeah. violent action coming at you. It was it was amazing. Yeah. Let me ask yeah. you guys this. Do you think there's a reason why this film is very clearly separated into two distinct acts with a time jump in between? Think about it. This film is almost mm-hmm. vaguely – it's not exactly real-time-ish because they go to bed and they get up. Mm-hmm. But the first chunk of time is very clearly like flows from point A to point B and then stops. And then there's a time jump yeah. – about i suppose eight to nine months mm-hmm. and then there's another period that is basically an uninterrupted flow of time does anyone want to i'll tell me I'll why I'll chime might in. Be? i'll chime in on what my opinion is mm-hmm. uh, of course you guys are feel are free to agree or disagree but my interpretation sticking with the allegory mm-hmm. that we're building on of of this is this is God and the house is kind of the world in a lot of ways. Yeah, the earth. Yeah, yeah. And creation. Exactly. That's that's kind of what I took away from it is though that first act or first two acts really because I lo- I look at it as the minute the family shows up that's almost an act in and of itself. Mm-hmm. Is you have the start of creation where the house is restored in that first opening second scene, mm-hmm. which is one you get started by that that jolt of the woman burning and the generation of the first crystal heart, and then it cuts to the house being restored to life in this vibrant color, not quite all together, but you know the structures are there, the the furnishing is there. It just needs to be filled out. It needs to be worked on. And then you have the work of of God and the mother actually bringing that house to life even further. Then you have the introduction of the catalyst that starts the entire downfall, which in a lot of ways you could look at as the fall of the angels. Mm -hmm. 
And that just leads to worse and worse until ultimately humanity rips apart God's creation. Just trying to, just everyone wants a piece of it. Everyone wants to latch on and take away what they can from it, leading to its ultimate eventual destruction. Yes. I, I, I think you're definitely right on the biblical, like, you're going in the same direction as I am, I think, in terms of it relating to the biblical allegory here. Sarah, Rudy, do you want to jump in on this? Um, actually, what you said about everyone wanting a piece of this. Well, I was talking be before the podcast, I was talking about my boyfriend, Jerome, and how I watched maybe an hour or so of this before he came home. And he came home and he was kind of in and out of the room watching it. But he actually had a few opinions. But he actually mentioned how, yeah, everybody wants a piece of the, the baby. Basically. The baby is Jesus, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I he, mean, that, that much is. Everybody wants yeah. a piece of it. And I'm like, that's a really good point, actually. Um, and yeah, my body and blood, right? Exactly. Exactly. And I didn't quite catch on to that right away. It took me a little bit because I was just so like, what the fuck is happening in this movie right now? Yeah. Like, with the, the scene with the baby, which is obviously, it's very, it is very disturbing. But I was I didn't understand what was happening right away. I knew something obviously horrendous was happening. But it, then they showed the scene where she's like, "My baby's dead," and and all that. And then Jerome said, "Yeah, everybody wants a piece of Jesus," and they're you know, mm -hmm. it, yeah, it was yeah. <laughs> it was very I, symbolic. That, <laughs> that scene is a literal uh, communion scene, yes, right? Yes, absolutely. That the. the literal body of the baby is dismembered and eaten it's not bread and wine masquerading as the bloody body and after, blood of after being Jesus. literally handed uh, over to them by god to the mob yeah, by yeah, it, was, exactly. it was literal it was it, it was that was very direct rudy do you want to get in on this i mean i pretty much agree with everything that's been said already uh i guess you could look at it outside of the biblical allegory thing as like uh, artistic creation and destruction in some ways. And the first half is, you know, I mean, they even talk about his, uh, you know, his will to write and that kind of thing being kind of uh, built on and kind of, uh, I guess, rejuvenated by whatever, by the, the events that happened in the first, you know, life or whatever yeah. happening in the first oh, yeah. parts of it. And then yeah. in the second half, it's all, destroyed and everything you know it's it's that the first half is very much about creation i guess and the second half is about destruction what yeah exactly. that's what, true yeah no what, sorry. what's getting created and destroyed i mean you can go the allegory route or you can you know look at it as more like an artistic thing but yeah, yeah. it's pretty much and that to me is what made it work so well is that it was a multi-leveled concept yeah. it wasn't just a flat oh well we're just going to tell you the story of the bible in a in a traumatizing right. anxiety inducing way <laughs> it was right. we're going to present yeah. these characters as fleshed out human beings right. and we're going to make them somewhat relatable like these are archetypes of people that you can actually recognize hmm. yeah and that humanization is just fantastic hmm. I really agree with that. But I think if you want to view this movie in an allegorical way, you can really see like three different 
allegories operating here. One is the really like transparently obvious one, which is like this is a biblical allegory, right? Mm-hmm. Two is what Rudy's talking about, which is that this is an allegory for the creative process in some way. And also, by the way, I think it's fair. Like a lot of times people throw the word allegory or symbolism or shit around when talking mm-hmm. about films. And a lot of times they're talking about talking out their ass <laughs> and the <laughs> oh, movies are, and it, they're actually insulting yeah. the film by calling it allegorical. But this is unequivocally, I think, an allegorical film. Like, mm-hmm. But anyway, and three, I think that this is a kind of environmentalist yeah. Oh, absolutely. Allegory, right? Absolutely. And I, we can maybe talk about those three things a little bit, but getting back to the two act structure here, I mean, it's Old Testament, New Testament, right? Yeah. The first, the first act even ends with him writing, writing his book, mm-hmm. right? The first act is creation, yeah. Adam and Eve in the garden, right? Adam arrives and Eve yeah. arrives. They eat the forbidden fruit, or in this case, they they go into his the oh, his yeah. forbidden study and yep. drop that ball of glass. The glass yep. heart is the forbidden fruit. Then their children, Cain Cain and Abel show up. Cain kills Abel. There's a falling out, (laughs) you know? And then then there's chaos. There's the, there's like that, there's original sin in there, in that there's that um, stain in the floorboards that you can't get out and on and on and on. And it ends. And then finally, when the chaos is over and the house is cleared, um, a, he gets the inspiration to write mm-hmm. a book, like the first <laughs> yeah. book, right? Yeah. The Old Testament. <laughs> and B, he, they conceive a child. <laughs> yeah. You know? And then. Miraculously, you know, in one try. Right. Miraculously, yeah. in one try. And she's suddenly aware that she has conceived. Right, yeah. she's supernaturally yeah. aware that she's conceived. Even. Yeah. Um, yeah. And she literally wakes act? him up the next day and says, "I'm pregnant." Right. <laughs> and then the second act. That's how that works, right? Yeah. Apparently. Yeah. Right. Well, but that's the thing, isn't it? I mean, that's oh, the yeah. supernatural element there. That's yeah, a little absolutely. bit of immaculate conception. The idea that, like, God. Fucks her. <laughs> she knows immediately <laughs> that she's been fucked by God and she's going to have a baby. Um, and then Act Two is all about the brief life of God's child, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then you get straight into fucking revelations. Yeah. Exactly. That and poor baby. So <laughs> that it, it, like the birth of the child, it's very short life. The like, <laughs> It's dismember. It's murder and dismemberment at the hand oh, of a yeah. bunch of religious zealots who think they're serving God. And then there's even the and then there's the Last Supper communion scene, which is really like <laughs> fucked up. Mm. And then there's this moment where it's like, oh, but but you know what? This sacrifice is meaningful. Like, oh my yeah. god, yeah. yeah. Like, <laughs> don't worry, Jesus died for our sins, and she says, yeah. fuck no. <laughs> I wanted to slap someone so hard during that uh, scene, by the way. 
there's a reason for this. There's a reason he died. And she's just like, but what? No, I'm his mom. No. And then he's yeah. like, I need one more thing from you. I'm like, dude, stop it. You took everything from her so far. And you want one more thing? Are you kidding me? It was, no. Yeah. No. Well, and in keeping with that, I thought it was brilliant how mother, since they never actually gave her a name. That's true. Mm -hmm. And is not only an allegory for Mary, being that she is the mother of, of the Christ figure in the movie, but she's also an analogy for Mother Earth. Well, and that's the big one, yeah. And and how the ultimate sacrifice of Mother Earth is what ends the madness for the time being. Mm -hmm. Right, and let's get back to the... It's that reset stuff. button. In just a second, because I do Absolutely. want to talk about that. I think we could have a whole oh, discussion yeah. about that. But I want to hang. This is why the... we didn't do a non-spoiler section, guys. <laughs> <laughs> but I do want to hang with like the biblical allegory thing for just a little while longer, because one moment that I really love is after her baby is dismembered and eaten by the mob. Mm -hmm. There's this moment where it's like this kind of faux resurrection, which I think they handled really well, where, mm -hmm. you know, in the in the Bible, it's like, oh, yeah, Jesus raises, rises from the dead. Now he's with us. And they even say, oh, yeah, but don't mm -hmm. worry, your baby hasn't really died. He's with all of us. And then they yeah. start doing this really fake imitation of the baby's cries. And it's just so <laughs> oh, yeah. pitch oh. perfect because you don't believe it for a fucking minute. <laughs> Right? You're like, no, they killed the fucking baby and they ate it. <laughs> right? And now this is like this whole thing is like performative, right? It's just, it, it's bullshit. It's, it's a rationalization of the death. And that imitation of the baby's cry is not the same thing as the baby crying. But also you're seeing all of this through the mother, through mother's very – fixed specific lens and that's one thing about this movie mm -hmm. is it is very much tied to a single perspective the movie oh, yeah. follows Definitely. jennifer lawrence's character agree. that's part of the reason Completely. it was so dramatic because you're you're watching it from oh, yeah. the mother's point of view the, first it's the wife's point of view this the young mother to be mm -hmm. she knows she wants to have kids but right now it's not happening She's got this older husband who kind of controls everything. And then she finally does get pregnant. It's amazing for nine months. And then all of a sudden she loses all control and she has this oh, yeah. little precious gem to, to protect and she can't. And uh, yeah, that was, yeah, <laughs> it was and, very, very well written in that way. It was. And following amazing. not only the perspective but that's a great word because the third person perspective used in the camera tracking yeah. in this mm -hmm. film was by far one of the most gripping and anxiety inducing parts. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It, it really, I love the camera work on this. Oh God. I really do. Yeah. It was, it was definitely anxiety. I wrote that down like two or three times in my notes for this movie yeah. because it was so anxiety inducing. It was so effective in that way. And I think it was very purposefully done yeah. as well. And I think mm -hmm. it's, I very much appreciate that actually. I mean, it's claustrophobic, <laughs> right? It I mean, the oh, camera, yeah. except for a few very brief exceptions, the camera almost literally never leaves Jennifer Lawrence's mm -hmm. side. Yeah. 
Well, and even when it does leave her side, it's still from her perspective. Right. Yeah. You know. Yeah. You never really see anything that she doesn't see. Yeah. yeah. And mm. I mean, there are a few shots where it's literally a first person camera, right? Mm. Where she'll look a lot of times it's her looking down at herself, which are oh, yeah. kind of interesting. Or, or touching the wall and you see what's sh what she sees. Right. Like but... the, the pulse of the house, the lifeblood of mm. the house. You know, the perfect that which is again a, a great metaphor for the living world itself. Yeah. I will say though, that's one visual effect shot that I wish had been cut from the movie. I would agree. I really didn't like the the scenes where she puts her hand on the wall and you see this like pulsating yeah. heart. And it's yeah. like, oh the yeah, CGI that's like was the soul unnecessary. of the house yeah. and the house. The CGI yeah. was definitely unnecessary. Yeah, it did, yeah. exactly. Exactly. There's no real point to it. Yeah. I mean, the, so often, one of the things that makes this movie work in a way that a lot of similar, like, living house movies don't is it is shot, like, there's v very little in the way of, like, special effects. Mm -hmm. It's a very naturalistic looking environment. And the subversions of that are the moments when it breaks and you start mm -hmm. to see that there's something subtly supernatural here, mostly work. Like when she's unclogging the toilet and that yeah. thing pops out, that thing that look yeah. like, looks like an organ of some kind, mm -hmm. right? Oh, God. And that was really fucked up. And that really it was really disturbing. Mm -hmm. And that worked. But the moments with the like the literal heart of the house that yeah. corresponds to her house, that was heavy-handed as shit, <laughs> and really was not necessary to communicate what the movie was trying to That's communicate. True. Yeah, I would agree with that completely. And there were a lot of other like small moments where the movie went too far with the biblical allegory stuff, like where the dialogue was like obvious like there's one time where she's like oh i'm gonna go get started on the apocalypse and like she's referring <laughs> to the mess in the house but yeah. it's like eye-rollingly obvious like yeah. there are just moments yeah. like that when it's like this thing is working where just they lost fine. the subtlety yeah, yeah. <laughs> i mean and it wasn't even subtle to begin with and it was working just fine the way you structured it yeah, you really don't need yeah. to wink and nod at it because you're already like it's right there for everyone to see mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. but um yeah any anything else on the like biblical allegory component of this oh boy there's there's so much <laughs> <laughs> there there really is just so so much i mean you look at you look at uh the cain and abel connection mm -hmm. where it's it's really the the death of one of the brothers that kind of sparks everything really falling apart i mean of course the breaking of the first glass heart is is the mo is the moment of original sin well mm -hmm. that would be the moment of the first death yeah yeah. And that is that is what really brought death and destruction into the world. And I thought that was very well executed because not only did it represent the first death, 
but it did bring about the destruction because that was what led to all of the family members showing up and then all of the family mm-hmm. friends showing up and then all the acquaintances and all of the other people and just piling on and on and on and on and on. And that was such a, I liked the way that it connected not only murder, but into all other tragedy that would then befall the world. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, You get that sense of like escalation there. One thing where you're talking about Cain and Abel, the movie weaves in like a lot of times the biblical allusions are really obvious and heavy handed, but in the, there are a few moments where it will weave in something like really small and you're like, Oh, Hey, like, oh, yeah. the, like the way the mark, did you realize that? Like, did you catch that? Like the mark of Cain actually makes an appearance in the film yes. because after oh. he Cain in this case, the brother like finishes bludgeoning able to death, the, Javier Bardem's character, who's God, grabs him and slams came against oh, yeah. the uh, mantle, and he gets this little mark on his forehead mm-hmm. that oh. is still there after he's cast out into the wilderness and he comes back. Oh, yeah. That was a cute little moment where it's like you, like in the Bible, Cain is marked yeah. by God yeah. for his it's, sin, and here it's he that gets... little nod to something that might be a little more obscure to people that right. haven't really read the original biblical stories or haven't really been exposed to them. And it also provides a, like a nice little emotional subversion or twist on those moments because in the Bible, of course, it's this really deliberate choice on God's Mm -hmm. part. He's like, you've killed your brother. You're going to be cast out into the wilderness and you're going to be marked. You know, it's like God Mm -hmm. is the judge, God making a very deliberate decision. Oh, absolutely. Whereas in this movie, it happens accidentally. Like, he's just trying to get him off his brother, and he throws him there, and he's marked. And he's like, get the fuck out of here. You know, and that's him being cast out into the wilderness. It's Well, yeah, it it humanized the moment. And But that strain runs through the whole movie where Mm -hmm. God ceases to be this kind of dispassionate – judging figure and instead you have a consistently very human god but a consistency consistently also like oddly both very self-absorbed and also very Mm. empathetic Mm. and caring god and Mm. yet and this is where i think one of the this is i think one of the moments where the movie excuse me Sorry, this is, I think, one of the movie moments where the movie delivers more than just a straight up or down kind of like either like satire of the Bible or biblical allegory or whatever. Is the fact that God's empathy in this film is actually one of his worst fucking traits. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Really, for like for his wife or his son, it's yeah. nothing. It's for everybody else. Yeah. yeah. God's forgiveness in this film mm-hmm. is a vice. It's so yeah, yeah, it's a weakness. And, really the thing. and if that you really is. look at Old Testament versus New Testament, since that's a that's a great way to describe the division. In the Old Testament, you see that more passionate God, that more reactionary God that that is more concerned with trying to direct order and 
you know, wanting to give humanity free will, but at the same mm-hmm. time, these are things that you cannot do. And then the New Testament hits and it's all, no, 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 they're forgiven. They're forgiven. As long as they're sorry about it, they can they can just reach heaven. They're fine. This is why yeah. I'm an atheist. <laughs> but it is interesting because I think the movie could have gone another way, which is that it could have opted to make Javier 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 Javier. It could have opted to make the God figure in this film entirely self-absorbed and egotistical, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. There's a very – you could make just a few small tweaks to this Absolutely. movie and end up with a god who's actually only completely interested in himself. He's mm-hmm. interested in have, having his work acknowledged and praised, mm-hmm. and humanity is just an avenue, just an outlet, just an mm-hmm. opportunity to get that praise, mm-hmm. to get that – um, acknowledgement that he wants. And the movie plays with that idea, but mm-hmm. it doesn't commit it does. to it 100%. Instead, mm-hmm. you get multiple moments where you really see a compassionate God. Mm-hmm. But it's, but right. God's compassion it, for humanity fucks everything up. Well, like, fucks everybody. Oh, yeah. a, true, a truly stern and unforgiving Old Testament God would have set shit's straight in this movie. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, absolutely. And I, uh, on that same note, I really have to say of all of the actors that they could have brought in to portray (laughs) a God figure, Javier Bardem would not have been one that I would have thought of immediately to put on that short list, but God damn, (laughs) what a choice. Yeah. Yeah. Just think there, of no country for of... old men. Oh yeah. You know, really. <laughs> like he's amazing. <laughs> he can play he evil is. and good he and is both an incredible actor. Yeah. Yeah. And and this has come up a couple of times, so you might as well talk about it a little bit. As I, I think Sarah and Brandon, you've both said, like the casting in this film is incredible. Mm-hmm. And I would mm-hmm go so far as to say this movie potentially does not work at all with a different less talented cast i would agree and i know that's true of a lot of movies but i think it's doubly true of this movie there's an alternate version of this film that isn't that has the same screenplay but isn't directed by Darren Aronofsky, mm-hmm. who has the clout to get literally anyone he wants in his movies, right? He, mm. who, it's some oh, film yeah. school student or something, or some <laughs> indie director who writes this and somehow manages to get it made, but he can't get Ed Harris in the, the movie. He can't <laughs> right. get oh, Michelle no, Pfeiffer sure. in oh, the movie. He, uh. he definitely can't get Jennifer Lawrence at the height of her <laughs> career in this movie. Well, they were fucking, by the way. <laughs> Well, there you go. <laughs> well, that makes everything easier. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but there you have it, right? You don't – He it doesn't have those connections, um, you know, uh, in, in any sense. Mm-hmm. And it has to use a B-tier cast. And I think with a B-tier cast, 
or even an A tier cast that isn't just as fucking exceptional. I mean, think about this. He gets Ed Harris in here for what's essentially a ten minute, not quite cameo appearance, but it's a relatively small role. Oh yeah. But he gets yeah. Ed Harris to bring his gravity to a relatively small role in this. It's film. it's a short yeah. but memorable role though. Well, and the same is yeah. with Michelle Pfeiffer and the, yeah. the, the the people who play the sons. They're they're very short, but you remember them until the end of the movie because they are so significant. They are so powerful oh, in their significance. Absolutely. But if you have a director who doesn't have that kind of clout, I think this film starts looking a lot more threadbare. I think oh, it yeah. starts yeah. like really this, fucking heavy-handed. This film would not and, have been backed by a major studio without a director with that kind of clout. Right. Absolutely. But even if it was, let's say it was, I mean, e- even so, I mean, it's not like you need a huge budget to make this movie. No. This movie was no. not on a huge budget. Give the movie the same budget, give it everything else but take away its cast, and I think it falls flat on its face. I would agree. I think it starts Absolutely. to seem like really heavy-handed and i think it's like the allegory overpowers everything else it's the subtlety in the performances and especially in lawrence and bardem's performances oh yeah right oh yeah to put so much weight of a movie of an entire film and if i'm not mistaken this clocked in around the two hour mark yeah just about Um, to put so much weight on a movie of that length on the shoulders of two actors, that is one of the biggest risks in filmmaking possible. Yeah. To, to put that much faith in your two lead actors is really extraordinary in and of itself. And the choices that were made to use Jennifer Lawrence and Javier Bardem were just absolute strokes of brilliance. And in Lawrence's case, in particular, Mm -hmm. here you have a very, well, relatively young actress, too, who has to carry like 80% of this movie. And and largely untested in that kind of role. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, she's, she's been a lead before, obviously, but we're talking like The Hunger Games. Yeah, which was a film that was more carried on the success of the novels and on appealing to a a younger adult audience. She did have Winter's Bone before. I was just before that she though. did. Yeah, absolutely. Which and Silver was, Linings Playbook, and yeah. and she's been a lead in other movies. She, she's never done quite, something quite like this. Exactly. Nothing she, with with this yeah. level of gravitas. Yes, exactly. But yeah, yeah but I mean. To what Sarah was saying, and to Jennifer Lawrence's credit, oh, Winter's absolutely. Bone rests very, very heavily on her performance. Mm-hmm. And it's a similarly sort of small budget film. And she was m- even younger then. And oh, yeah. that was sort of her breakout performance. Oh, yeah. She carried that motherfucker. So it's not <laughs> at all surprising that she's able to carry this film to that degree. But if, like, Aronofsky couldn't have cast Laura Jennifer Lawrence in that role. Yeah. Is there another twenty-something actress who could have done it? Who would have been like even? I don't know. Probably. I mean, sure, of course there is, but there aren't. I'm many. sure there are, but it's hard to yeah. come up with a name. It's hard to imagine someone else doing it. I'm sure they could have come up with somebody else. Yeah. 
Yeah. But yeah. I feel like she she was kind of made for that role. She is she is actually very diverse, whatever you think about her. She is. Everything absolutely. I've seen her in, even if the movie itself isn't very good, she herself is very good. And even and in the Red Sparrow, which was you know mediocre. Oh, yeah. yeah. She was very good in that. You know, it's just a you know, not the best film, but it was entertaining and she did her part. And I feel the same way about this. She she always gives her one hundred percent to everything that she's in. And in my opinion, there's something too in her appearance. Mm -hmm. And I'm not gonna try to make this some shallow statement. <laughs> you know what I mean by her appearance, I mean that there is an element of almost innocence mm -hmm. that that mm -hmm. is just inherent to the way that she looks mm -hmm. she seems like there's just something in the smoothness of her face it's it's mm -hmm. a very soft innocent relatable endearing quality and i think without that the character would lose a lot of a lot of the sympathetic qualities that really makes it work mm -hmm. i agree with that brandon you saying that yeah. makes me want to see a movie where lawrence plays a really diabolical and hateful villain oh god yeah <laughs> like i just want to i would I be all over that. that i would be all over that but i think you're right she is certainly physically right for the role javier bardem is physically right for the role oh. in a way that oh, no. as you you guys said you wouldn't expect but he has exactly that like he has an oddly like a really particular appearance that's both mm -hmm. like simultaneously like earthy but also like abstracted <laughs> like i don't even know yeah like, yeah if you need to cast god you need god to be like the creator of earth like the creator of everything and part of that but also like divorced from that and absent and above it like i can't think of many oh, yeah. actors who would have yeah. been able to do that um, he uh in my opinion he had this amazing ability in this movie to at the same time be sympathetic mm -hmm. and be completely loathsome <laughs> and <laughs> I mean, in like delivering the same sentence. Yeah. He has yeah. this way of delivering the lines where it's like, oh, this is this this suave Spaniard that is just so thoughtful and intelligent and thought provoking. And yet he's saying the most assholish thing in the world. Yeah. Yeah. And he's in some ways at his most loathsome when he's at his most sympathetic, too. Yeah. Somehow. Oh, yeah. But actually, I mean, a lot of the – and this is a weird twist – is that a lot of the things that he is saying, if you took just mm -hmm. the text, they're – I mean, it, they're not that loathsome. They're not that horrible. No. They're actually no. really and most of the time very eloquent on the one hand and yeah. also very kind and understanding and compassionate on yeah. the other. And that's and that's that weird duality that he has in this movie is that the things that are reprehensible that he says and does are delivered in a very likable way. 
And the very likable things that he says and does are delivered in this almost monstrous, inhuman manner. Mm-hmm. Hmm. With this massive disconnect from from humanity. And I there again, there are so few actors that I could picture pulling that off that wouldn't be some really bizarre stretch into like septuagenarians that yeah. are that would be way too old to play the part at this point. Well, there's yeah. that one incredible scene where he's sitting there staring at her just waiting for her to go to sleep so he can take the baby and in that moment like prior to that like his humanity is always sort of at the like Mm -hmm. forefront of his character at least there's this kind of conflicted mix of like the divine and the human and like he's he's simultaneously kind of emotionally present and emotionally absent Mm -hmm. It, it, oh yeah, it, and then in that point, it's like he just calcifies and hardens, and he's just gone, and he's just waiting, and his humanity, his compassion, everything is just wiped out, and yeah. and the way he manages to pull that off, that just totally stern, like empty expression while mm-hmm. he's watching her is, that's remarkable. Mm-hmm. Almost like a vulture type of his expression. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, in that he doesn't even seem human, in that he's just waiting. Yeah, right, just like a vulture. And the fact that this is that this is the point too. too, That he's not what she thought he was. That she's not. Mm. That he's not the the husband that she thought Mm -hmm. he was or the father. And yeah, and she does not trust him. And she knows. She absolutely knows that something is going to happen if she Mm -hmm. falls asleep. Or if she yeah. gives the baby to her, yeah. she knows it. Yeah. It's in her face. And I have, that was one of my favorite uh, uh, scenes. It was a long, drawn-out mm-hmm. scene, but I loved it. Absolutely. Yeah. Because it, you, you could see it all completely naked. You just knew exactly yeah. what was happening. And, and for me, the best part of that moment of just raw inhumanity was this is the moment where he's offering up his son to open the gates of heaven. Yeah. Well, this is yeah. This is the moment where that is that that to me is the most priceless part of that is that this is the darkest hour for the God figure, mm-hmm. and it's the most compassionate moment at the same time when you follow the allegory. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, every that almost every, perversely so. Every or nearly every. Especially in the last half, every biblical illusion is subverted, right? Yeah. Every moment that has a sort of positive or transcendental quality in the New Testament mm. is rendered on screen as a moment of depravity and horror. Mm. Mm-hmm. But let's move on so this isn't a six-hour podcast because i (laughs) want i want to talk a little bit about um (laughs) so oh okay so um actually before i we talk about anything else i do want to double back and talk for a little bit about the environmental allegory here um Mm. 
how did you guys feel about that? Like the yeah, the the Mother Earth part of Mother. And um, um Sarah Rudy. Well, yeah, I mean, I it was definitely the idea of this pristine, uh, well, I guess kind of pristine, but um, the idea of something being ruined, yeah. <laughs> ruined yes. by basically savages, you know, who come in and um, just take everything apart and just take things for granted, just ruin shit. I mean, that that was flowing throughout the whole part of the, the first part of the movie, definitely. Right. And whether um, they're, they're ruining shit whether they're destroying or building. Right. <laughs> because there are moments where they come in and they're painting the house and they think oh, they're doing yeah, it. They're, yeah, yeah, exactly. I was actually just going to mention that yeah. where he's, the, the guy is there. He's, <laughs> yeah, I know. Like, don't touch my stuff. Don't touch my house. Don't touch my husband. <laughs> Get away. And yeah, and I, for me, the first half of the film, I would have divorced God already. Honestly. <laughs> Like, I'm sorry. I'm gonna be with Satan now. I can't get with you anymore. <laughs> it was that. That really was my triggering thing. Was the people coming into their private space yeah. and doing whatever yeah. they wanted, like from leaving the the sink in the bathroom running to clogging the toilet, oh, yeah. to you know, and then getting more extreme throughout the film again with the sink and yeah. where they're like, it's not yeah. great, and they're like, oh, it's fine, and then they break it. I'm like. I just the whole time I'm like clutching myself. I enraged so with these people. <laughs> yeah. I could never be with anyone who would invite a guest over without asking me first. Thank like, you. For Thank dinner. you. Oh I, yeah, absolutely. I would, I would dump you so hard. Deal breaker, I, I red flag not. number one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> No, but yeah, was, but, so in, 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 it was so enraging to me that he would do that, and he's like, "I don't understand why you're not okay with these people being here and having sex in our room." And like, yeah. like oh, and then and remember the scene where there are actual strangers trying to have sex in their bed. Yes. Like, yeah, are you? Yes. And they're like, "What's the problem? I don't get it." And I'm like, "What is wrong with this you?" And, yeah. and I knew this movie was obviously like fantastical, and this is not a normal. Scenario, but I'm still right. just like my blood pressure. Well, I mean, I mean, for some people, it's a normal scenario. <laughs> <laughs> not my friends. Okay? <laughs> well, not my not my friends now. My friends in college, on the other hand. <laughs> That's why you're not friends anymore. <laughs> exactly. I mean, yeah. yeah, no one. I, I, I have never invited anyone I know besides like my parents and a few really close friends to even visit my apartment. It would never occur to me like oh, same to invite here. someone from yeah. work over like, Oh, come, come over and <laughs> like, no, no. I mean, <laughs> this is my space. Fuck you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I have been in my apartment for all of a year and a half. And I think I've had maybe seven people walk inside that front door. <laughs> Hey, that's more than I've had. So. <laughs> and I've lived here for over two years. Yeah. <laughs> this is totally, this is not related to the movie. But once the the bottom heating element in my oven burned out, and it's not, I, I'm, this is a rental property. I don't own the oven. <laughs> 
and I was faced with a dilemma. Either I inform my landlord and they'd come and they'd re they'd replace the bottom heating element in my stove with a new one that they would pay for, or I could purchase a new heating element, figure out how it's supposed <laughs> to be installed, buy the tools I need to install it, and install it myself. Oh. What do you what think you I did? <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and guess you, you, uh, you DIY'd that thing, didn't you? I did. And I did it just so that my land, I wouldn't have to deal with the possibility of my landlord being in my apartment for like three hours while I was here and having to like have an awkward like moment with my oh, landlord. Yeah. So I, that's such a weird feeling. And there was a real good, I didn't know what the fuck I was doing. I could have easily electrocuted myself or burned the house down, but I did not give a shit. I was not, I just, whatever, order it off Amazon and just replace it. No, I'm going to say also off topic, we've had our landlord come in without acknowledging it beforehand. They just came in and I'm, I was here, I guess this was before I got my current job and they just were like knocked on the door and came in. I'm like, okay, what's, what's up? Like, we need to check your shower. I'm like, no, I don't agree with this. But they did anyway. Huh. No, it's no, not fun. It's, it is not fun renting. Absolutely. And I've been asleep. I've been asleep and I suddenly heard the shower going. Yeah, it was the landlord <laughs> checking wow. out our shower. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah, no, just, just so you know, that's that's technically illegal. Well, <laughs> they would probably dispute it, but I was very... Uh, especially if it's, in, especially if it's in your lease agreement <laughs> that, uh, that they're supposed to give at least 24-hour notice. Then, yeah, uh, that, no, that that's illegal. Yeah. <laughs> this is New yeah. Jersey. <laughs> That is New Jersey, uh, too. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, yeah, my landlord is very good about that, which is one of the reasons why I've been in this apartment for over five years. They will not, they don't, it's always like, okay, do you want us to come in here? We'll be in here in three, three days from now. We're going to go and do an inspection. Yeah. Is yeah. it okay? It's like, yeah, sure. I can make sure it's kind of vaguely clean. Um, yeah. But no, okay. So anyway, back to mother. Yes. Um, we, but yeah, that home. Once again, back to the home invasion element. That is yes. just point. Oh yeah. On like that anxiety is and so real, mm. and it's so much more honest and relatable than a lot of the shit they put in horror movies. Mm -hmm. So I don't think I ever answered the question. Do I think this is a horror movie? Yes, I do. I'm the only one who doesn't think it's a horror movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This is in a, in a way I think it is, uh, but predominantly for my uh, preferences for horror, I guess it isn't, but I understand why it, it is in that category for you guys. Definitely. Yeah. I, but for me, it, it wasn't scary. It was just very anxiety inducing. See, you know? and, and that's the thing to me, that actually makes it even more of a horror movie. I, I definitely understand that. Definitely. Because for me, the the jump scares mean nothing. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Jump scares it's, mean yeah. absolutely nothing to me. It's it's that momentary adrenaline spike, and then oh, okay, we're back to this. When you find a movie that can not only induce that fight or flight response, but not give you a moment to recover, <laughs> and continue to build and build and build. And really leaving you with the only recourse of turning the movie off if you want to escape from yeah. it. Yeah. 
it yeah. builds that claustrophobic, that sense of being trapped, that sense of, oh shit, guys, this is real. No. And you can't get that in most modern horror movies. No, For the can't. most part, it's that it's that sense of, you know, oh, people are talking, people are talking, people are talking, boom, boom, <laughs> you know, <laughs> or. Or, oh, people are talking, people are talking. Oh, shit, there's a serial killer in the mask. People are running. Oh, shit, he somehow teleported, even though he's not a supernatural entity Boo! in any way whatsoever. <laughs> Boo! Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, you know, I mean... It, it's, it's all so predictable. It's like being on a... Uh, it's like being on a roller coaster where you know you're on a track. You know you're on a track. You know where this movie is going. You know every step of the way. You know it's it's the roller coaster or a or a a fun house or a haunted house mm-hmm. ride at a theme park or a fair that you've been on before. You know the route. You know what's in there. You know what the scares are going to be. This was walking into a a uh, a fun house on foot that had multiple paths and no matter what path you went down there was something more horrifying than the last thing that you came across and the only choice you have is to keep going knowing that you're going to walk yourself into more yeah but i i think we were talking about the um the mother nature allegory yeah and i want to ask you guys this do you think that worked? Do you buy it? Mm, I think I buy it more on a religious aspect than a nature aspect, honestly. The religious definitely worked more for me, despite being an atheist. <laughs> what do you guys think? I think it worked on both levels, personally. Um, then again, I'm I'm also a a pagan with more naturalistic views on views on what the gods are and what they all represent. And for me, the notion of ecology is a very important thing. Um, That connection to nature. So when you're looking at that and you watch more or less mother nature builds up and builds up Mm -hmm. and it fleshes out this living space for humanity and humanity ultimately just grabbing and grabbing and clawing and ripping apart all of this creation until the only option is to hit that reset button and just end it all. I think that's uh that's a, it's a valid allegory for the state that a lot of environmentalists mm-hmm. might see the world in right now of seeing that, well, humanity is ripping this planet apart and polluting the environment and if we keep going the way we're going, we're going to make it unlivable until ultimately a reset button hits, and that's the end of humanity. I was just going to ask that, actually. Do you think this movie has a relevant message to what we're go- currently going through? Do you think it's partly about what we're currently going through with global warming and even politics? Do you think yeah. it has anything to do with that? I think that's a secondary element to the movie. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't know if that was necessarily their primary concern 
And I, I highly doubt that that was the primary concern. I, I do too. Well, I, I don't know. I, I but actually I do think it could be like with our current climate for the last oh, two, yeah. two and a half years. Absolutely. I mean, people are talking about an apocalypse, which was mentioned in the movie. I mean, I could, I could see that maybe that was part of a message that they were trying to send. I, I actually think that environmentalism was sort of on the forefront of Aronofsky's mind when he made this film. Mm -hmm. I think it's an almost overtly environmentalist movie. Mm -hmm. um, and to kind of put this in context, Aronofsky actually tried to square this circle once before. He tried to, I mean, his previous film before Mother was also a biblical film with very strong environmental overtones, right? Environmentalist overtones. It was Noah, right? And that movie was a disaster. <laughs> that movie was was uh, was an absolute. See, I've mess. still yet to see that. I mean, uh, maybe does it? There's this funny thing about Aronofsky's work where the smaller it is, the better it is. He's really only tried to make true, too honest to goodness, like blockbuster or not blockbusters, too honest to goodness, large scale epics in his career. One was Noah and the other was the fountain. And both of them were absolutely disastrous. Just, <laughs> he's just a victim of his own ambition, I guess, in that respect. And then if you look at his smaller movies that focus on just one or two characters or only a few characters, Requiem for a Dream, um, oh, yeah. uh, sorry, um, Black Swan, which is really about two or arguably maybe even just one character, and The Wrestler, which is, a, I, if I remember correctly, mm -hmm. primarily about a father-daughter relationship, which I think is actually probably his best film. Mm -hmm. These are all, and then mother. These are all very, in some way, small and focused in their scale, and they yeah. really work. Anyway, so Noah was didn't work, but it was the same attempt to take the Bible and to take environmentalism, mm -hmm. or to use the Bible as a, or to use biblical material as a container to smuggle in environmental themes. And I think that's what's happening here as well, which is, I mean, if you think about it, the mother figure is the only one that isn't, doesn't really have a direct one-to-one -one biblical parallel, right? Like Bardem's character is very clearly God. Yeah. And it, like, I believe... Oh, Ed Harris is actually called man, and Michelle Pfeiffer is called woman, but they're very clearly oh, yeah. Adam and Eve. Yeah. You've got Cain and Abel, yada, yada. You've got Jesus. But this mother figure that isn't biblical is very clearly a sort of mother nature figure, and the entire film is told from her perspective, from the perspective of an earth that's being like literally raped and pillaged. And there's this deep connection with yeah. the home. And yeah. like what you were saying, Brandon, I think all of that was very intentional. Oh, question yeah. Whether yeah. or not it works. And but Rudy got cut out of that question. So I want to go back to you, Rudy. Did you, do you think that the environmental stuff, the environmentalist stuff works? Yeah, I mean, I definitely do. Um, the first half of the movie, there's really uh, 
like one thing I was that kind of got me was the fact there's no electronics or anything really shown about the first half of the movie, and it's just kind of like, oh, well, where's their cell phones, you know? Well, actually, there is a cell phone that pops up very briefly, and it doesn't work. Remember, Michelle so that, Pfeiffer's oh, character is like, you don't have service here. And right, then right. I think it's um, – I think it's the God figure, but it might be Jennifer Lawrence's mm. character. I don't remember, but someone says, yeah, that's the way we like it. Yeah. But then there's the, uh, the whole aspect of her is like kind of a, I guess like a carpenter or like a do it yourselfer type of, there's that do it yourself aspect there too. Mm-hmm. Um, that really gets shown. Uh, but I like the, the thing I think that makes it work is, um, <clears throat> the way, Excuse me. The way it goes from being, uh, it goes from bad to worse in a way that seems to mirror at least a lot of the environmentalist arguments about, you know, uh, pollution and that kind of stuff. Uh, Where, you know, the first half of the movie is kind of a build up to what happens in the second part. And it goes from, you know, like kind of, uh, I don't want to say like uh, like kind of like an apathetic type of neglect type yeah. of thing, you know, where people are just let in that shouldn't have been let in or things happen, things break that shouldn't have broken because people are there. And then it goes to a very direct in the second half of the movie, direct like violence, you know, yeah. like with the, the scene where they're beating her and calling her a cunt and stuff like that, you know, like, hey, you know, um, it it seems like it's, there's a natural progression there that would make sense for an environmental message. You know, if you're talking about like people who believe that, um, you know, we're kind of in the, uh, you know, to use a biblical thing, the end times as far as the environmental stage of, you know, things. I guess. Yeah. Um. You know, or at least we're we're rapidly spiraling out of control, you know, and that, that really kind of shows in the way it's framed. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, I agree that it makes its argument persuasively, Hmm. but I don't, I don't fucking buy its framing. I think it's framing is, is bullshit. (laughs) (laughs) And here's the thing. Okay. So I 100%. Wow. I mostly agree with the way that humanity is presented in this film that like there's a pretty much one-to-one correlation there between that and like my personal nihilistic feelings towards humanity. Like, yes, humanity fucks shit up. Like (laughs) we're innately destructive and, (laughs) and worse. In addition to being innately destructive, we are innately obnoxious. Mm-hmm. And in fact, it's that obnoxiousness of humanity that I think the film sells even more effectively than humanity's destructiveness. Absolutely. The idea Absolutely. that humans are a nuisance and mm. that works and I buy that. Mm-hmm. But this framing of nature as the aggrieved <laughs> maternal figure, bull. Mm. Shit. <laughs> Bull shit. It, like, the way the home is presented is this kind of lie, right? Mm-hmm. Because it's this kind of rustic yeah. country estate, 
yeah. which um, is a really idyllic version of the natural world that you might have if you were a 20th century or 21st century cosmopolitan elite whose idea of like man in the state of nature is like, you know, going leaf peeping or whatever. <laughs> it's a leaf of grass shit or whatever. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Ralph that, Waldo which, Emerson bullshit. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Whitman, Emerson, um, I mean, Thoreau, this kind of transcendentalist, fucking yeah. back to nature bullshit. I don't buy it though, because yeah. I, I, I'm I'm a Hobbesian through and through. Man, <laughs> in the state of nature, life is what is it? It's uh, nasty, Brutus and short. Nasty, Brutus and short. Thank you. I was, wait, wait. was nasty. What is I was, a Hobbesian? Um, this is like a Hobbit. <laughs> 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 no, uh, no, it's somebody who believes that Hobbes is real. The tiger in... Uh... Oh, the power of Hobbes? <laughs> <laughs> no, um, Hobbes was an early political philosopher. He wrote Leviathan, and his argument is... And this is actually like more or like contemporary take on his argument than his actual, argu actual argument. But basically that man in the state of nature is fucked like that without a strong coercive government to to brutalize humans and set them straight they're gonna fuck each other up and if they don't fuck each other up a saber-toothed tiger is going to come out of the woods and carry them away <laughs> you know like that that's yeah. the idea that's like I mean, not wrong but I, I mean honestly here's the thing we would not have developed this combat combative and somewhat hostile relationship with nature if mother nature was the figure that jennifer lawrence portrays in this movie right yeah. oh absolutely. we absolutely. have a combative relationship with nature because nature is fucking trying to murder us at every turn right? <laughs> but that's that's valid uh, on another note Humanity has gotten out of control. Let's be honest. We there are too many of us. Yeah. Yeah. And because there are too many of us, global warming is happening, right? Mm -hmm. Or or climate yeah, change. Right. There's climate change because Literally. there are too many of us. Uh, we don't know how to handle each other. <laughs> we're all gonna die because of that. I mean, really. I, I yeah. <laughs> I want to give. I, I think Rudy's allegedly was just a joke, but I want to give Rudy a chance to engage in some climate change denial here, just for both sides of the argument. We gotta teach the controversy, right? I mean, that's what we're doing here. But I think, like, uh, one thing that this movie has, uh, one theme of the movie, I guess, is like good creativity versus bad or toxic creativity. And as far as that goes, uh, I think the nature metaphor comes through a lot more because it's like, well, you know, she's responsible for, like, doing all this stuff in the house. She's responsible for repairing it and, you know, bringing it up to snuff and making it this paradise or whatever it's supposed to be. Um, but, you know, her, uh, there's, like, the, the kind of toxic element of her... Uh, of, of God, you know, doing his, his creativity, you know, where he's basically, <clears throat> um, you know, where he, where it, 
it kind of starts to rule him, you know, sort of. It kind of starts to take him over. And then also, you know, the element of his ego involved there. And I guess, you know, to me that, like, the environmentalist message, even if you don't think it works, like, it definitely, I want to say it, uh, well... It definitely fits with it. I think it meshes well with the biblical message. That's all I'm saying. I don't know that it. I don't. I don't think. I don't really believe it. Mm-hmm. You know, but it would be hard to sell me on any environmentalist message anyway. <laughs> uh, so I don't. I don't think that. I, I. I don't think I'm really necessarily the right person to be sold that type of message, necessarily, or the right person to ask about. You know, if this works or not. Um, but I think. As far as does it mesh with the rest of the elements going on, I think it does. Yes, I, and I yeah, really, I agree with you. I mean, the the three threads that we're talking about um, in this film the the environmentalist allegory, the biblical allegory, and then the creative allegory are interwoven really well oh, and complement yeah. each other really well. Yeah, I I absolutely it's a braid. Agree. It's a braid, yeah. really. Yeah, definitely. Everything is yeah. woven. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if it's convincing or not. Like, I don't... It, it, like I said, it'd be really hard to convince me in that direction. So I don't know. And I don't know what you would... Uh, I don't know how you would judge whether it works or not, really, frankly. Um, because, like, the audience that, you know, is going to tend towards that kind of stuff... Um, probably already liked this movie a lot to begin with, uh, for the other part, the other themes, the biblical and the, you know, other, but people who, I mean, this was a polarizing movie, I guess, for the critics and stuff like that. So it was, it was, um, I think it was critically panned, honestly, it was very, uh, divided. Well, no, it's not, it's, it's fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, but it's not certified fresh, (laughs) meaning that it's between. What sixty and seventy five percent or whatever it's at. Yeah, it's I like sixty nine, I think. Yeah. Okay. So, it, I mean, I think there are a lot of reasons why critics might not have been totally receptive to this film. I mean, I think some people may have been turned off by the the potential heavy handedness of the mm. allegory. Mm. I think other people may have been turned off just by the fact that this is innately. It's this is an aggressively abrasive film. Oh yeah. This is a yeah. film that oh, yeah. does not want you to enjoy a single minute <laughs> that you're watching it. And I really appreciate yeah, that. Uh, I really yeah. like that. It's yeah. a challenging film. It it's a very uh, challenging film. It it mm-hmm. asks a lot of its viewer and it has so much to unpack in in yeah. what is relatively a very short amount of time considering how much content they actually go through in the mm. course of its two-hour runtime. Right. It, it's so densely packed and so rapid-paced that, I, yeah, I can understand where critics may not have gotten it, so to speak, or may not have appreciated it in full. Or simply may not have enjoyed it. This is oh, a yeah, really grueling yeah. experience. It is. It <laughs> is. But I think thematically and in terms of evoking exactly the emotions that it wants to evoke, 
it was a lot more successful than Noah. <laughs> yeah. <Let's> try <laughs> to do some other thing and just ended up seeming weird and unintentionally humorous. And uh, yeah. Rudy, you and I saw that at the theater together, yeah. right? Yep. And I remember us walking out and just being like, well, that was a movie. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I remember talking to you guys after you went to see it. And, yeah. and the looks on your faces when you were talking about it were just absolutely priceless. Well, <laughs> I remember Rudy and I went to see Django Unchained oh in the theaters. <laughs> and afterwards, we sat in the car for like half an hour before we drove home just talking about how fucking awesome it was. And like how – like, wasn't that great? Oh, oh my yeah. god. And then there was that – yeah. it was great. It was great. It was... And after Noah, I don't even remember. I think we were just like, uh – <laughs> i mean there were definitely some lulls um i think oh yeah but yeah um oh my god we all need to see a movie together at some point <laughs> that would be incredibly challenging and potentially it, it, a lot more well. awkward and uncomfortable <laughs> than you think it would be brilliant though because uh, we definitely have some varying points oh yeah views. oh yeah <laughs> we need one of us to get rich enough to buy out a theater and just the five <laughs> of us including aj go into a theater and just watch something and just fucking like totally like mystery science theater and the shit out oh, of that. Oh, hell yeah. oh yeah. I love that. Except so, uh, in- shall we put out the call right now that, uh, AJ, when you're editing this, <laughs> please, take some overtime. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, and if anyone is get wealthy enough to do that, it will be AJ. Oh, yeah. <laughs> is there anything else you want to talk about yeah. here i want to talk about the sound and really okay. zero in on that because that was what stood out to me the most the first time watching it especially in that very claustrophobic very intense ramping up anxiety of the mm-hmm. first and second acts leading into that climactic third act mm-hmm it wasn't so much those visual jump scare moments of, of her turning the corner and something she's not expecting being there and just having that jar the audience. But it was the moments of sound that would just suddenly pop and just grab your attention and lock you in. Because for me, I'm, I am notoriously bad about putting on a movie and treating it as background noise. Mm-hmm. You know, putting a movie on and doing like two or three other things while I'm watching it mm-hmm. and not fully absorbing the movie because it doesn't demand enough of me in terms of grasping my attention. It's a good point, actually. Because a lot of movies really don't. Oh, yeah. They just present yeah. themselves as very subtle. But this and you can, movie. yeah, okay. and you can almost do that whole do that popcorn movie thing where yeah. you just kind of mm. you're you're snacking and you're and you're <laughs> looking at other things. I can't. I you can't. Know, I'm hot or yeah. cold. Yeah. I am in or I am 
aggravated yeah. and hateful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like either I'm drawn into the movie and it's got 100 percent of yeah. my attention. Yeah. And if you make a fucking noise, I it's like, but, or it's like I this movie doesn't have me at all, and all yeah. I want to do is heckle it. Like I just can't. Yeah. Yeah. I can't casually watch anything. I can't casually do anything. I'm sick. You really are. <laughs> you really are. But we've known that for years. Yeah. Yeah. Sister. But but this movie demands so much of you, and it doesn't let you look away. Because even if you yeah. look away, it finds another way to snag your attention and draw you back to it. So if you look away, you have to rewind. I mean, oh, yeah. honestly, yeah. right? There are so many blink and you miss it moments. Yes. Yeah, you and it's because you of that to, that, sharp, that sharp that uh, punctu- sharp not punctuation, but almost percussive nature mm-hmm. of the movie as far as the pacing goes, that that quick, you know kind of feeling of Every you know, every 15, 20 seconds, you're getting hit with something else. And the few moments where you do get those lulls in the action, it's almost that it's almost even more anxiety inducing <laughs> because you're not being hammered by the stimulus response. It is. It right. really is because you know, you absolutely know when something yeah. else is going to happen. When, when they flash from her saying, I'm pregnant, to her being like nine months pregnant, you know, and, ever, and everything is so I, everything is so idyllic and peaceful. Yes. <laughs> and, and, and you're you waiting, it. and it captures that sensation of waiting for the other shoe to drop. Yeah, you, and you can't <laughs> believe that they went nine months in their lives, in yeah. their characters' lives, with nothing wrong going. And, and then, and all, but yeah. you know what's going to happen any second, and it ends up being absolutely catastrophic. Oh yeah. And it's mm. so worth the wait, though. And especially, <laughs> especially when you're like me and you are a natural pessimist <laughs> or a natural nihilist, and, and you don't believe that anything good can ever truly last. Um, having a film actually capture the anxiety of that moment of waiting for the other shoe to drop. Like, I don't know what's going to happen exactly. I know it's going to be awful. Things are going so well. <laughs> This isn't gonna last. It can't last. No. This isn't gonna last. This this isn't good. You know, it's it's it almost captures that sense of of feeling like you can't be happy unless you're miserable. <laughs> In a really weird way. Yeah. It, it it really it really locks into so many different aspects of of that psychological terror. And that that sense of existential dread. Yes. Yeah. And very very few movies are capable of doing that. And I think by the time you reach the end of the movie and you realize it is this religious kind of theme, and there's nothing you can do to control it, that's even more anxiety inducing, right? Oh yeah. You realize from the yeah. beginning. There was nothing she could do. There was nothing anybody could do. It was always going to happen. Well, and it's going to repeat itself. You know. Will it? Well, that's, <laughs> I mean, that's, that's the question, question, right? How was I it going to go the next yeah. time? How did it go the time before that? Because it was obviously a different and that's woman just it. The time before that. Yeah. So I'm very, I'm very curious. Uh, that was one yeah. of the 
was was that a different was that a different world it was it really was. are it they was at least a different person a different personality yeah. hopefully is it is it suggesting that uh that maybe we're not god's first great project that's a good point actually because <laughs> yeah. really in this it's it's recreating the same scenario exactly. over and over until it's perfect which it exactly. never is it's, it will never be perfect it's kind of acknowledging in a, in a sense it's acknowledging that humanity is a failing experiment yes exactly exactly yeah <laughs> i mean on one hand you could say this movie is cyclical like it opens with the be it it opens with the ending and it ends with the beginning right yes. <laughs> you, you see that you see a very similar almost identical sequence at the beginning where the mm -hmm. house is burned and then rejuvenated and the mother wakes up and at the end the house is burned rejuvenated mother wakes up mm -hmm. And you could say, well, okay, I mean, that that's what the movie is. I mean, free will is an illusion, mm -hmm. and the universe is, whether it's in a religious sense or just a purely, like, physically deterministic sense, is going to just repeat this cycle endlessly. The universe, you'll see the creation of a universe. Everything that happens will happen, is doomed to happen. And then the universe will end, the new universe will be born, and boom, 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 this endlessly deterministic cycle where the mother is always going to, at the end, destroy her own creation or destroy God's creation. I guess right. it depends. I mean, the degree to which she is a partner in the creation of this world is an interesting one because it it's, is. It's presented more as a question than it is as a certainty. Well, that's just it. Is yeah. she building the world or is she just functioning on God's direction? Yeah, but that's hmm. the thing, right? So and, and there you have there you have the evolution versus the creation. You know, <laughs> is it evolutionary theory or creationist theory? What you know, which one is the true answer here? But so you have that one possibility, which is this kind of you know, um, almost like deistic sort of like mm -hmm. a divine watchman kind of thing where the machine is built and the machine runs and this these poor women who are created only to destroy themselves and the world they inhabit mm -hmm. are just going to endlessly repeat this cycle. But there's another possibility. And I think, Sarah, you kind of hinted at this in the con I, I don't know if this was during the con this conversation or if it was in the pre-podcast conversation, but the idea that maybe she could have made a different choice. Mm -hmm. And since at the end of the film, the mother is a new woman, it's not Jennifer Lawrence anymore, it's a new mother, could that new mother make a different choice? And if that's the case, right. if she is actually the one, assuming that the humans in this universe don't have the ability to make other choices, which maybe they do or maybe they don't. But if she's the one making the fundamental choice of whether this universe, not whether it's created or not, but whether it's destroyed or not, then maybe there's a chance that one of these mothers, after her baby is devoured in front of her, will, when God says, you have to forgive them, will say, oh, I, I guess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, yeah, and that's will that be how I saw it. I I did see it as he's 
testing different women yeah yeah who will be the the mary basically of this scenario and she Mm. was in this movie she was not the the virgin mary um yeah, and maybe the next one was. We really don't know. But don't know. when he did say, hey, you have to forgive everybody, I I totally agree. I think he was looking for the right one mm-hmm. to be forgiving. Right. And he was absolutely not. She was enraged, which most of us would be, of course. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's why, again, oh, yeah. this movie evokes so much emotion. And that's and that's another another great point there is, is that rage, yes. the rage element. Mm-hmm. That is such a natural, primal response, and that's and it's one of those responses that it almost invokes as a viewer. Mm-hmm. It it does. It gives you those sensations of of just being so angry at this situation that seems not only completely preventable but completely hopeless and. Mm-hmm just you know it's such a such a normal response to seeing everything that you've worked on and everything you've created torn apart by these people just trying to grab a piece exactly right. and and, and then really, to be asked to forgive yeah. you know yeah. it really it, it makes you question that part of human nature of what is forgiveness and what is what is too far to forgive especially when you factor in things like free will and and uh and setting personal boundaries and understanding that certain things are going to be temporary and how much are you willing to sacrifice to accept reality as it were it's yeah I mean, the movie puts you in a position where you feel like the choice she makes, which, by the way, is the choice to destroy the world, <laughs> which is the, yeah. the choice to oh, yeah. end all life. I would have done that, too. Will. It feels emotionally like the right choice. <laughs> yeah. It does. It really does. It, it does, feels yeah. like it's relating to most mothers, even most fathers. I mean, wouldn't most of us? with that choice if our child was in peril like that i i have nothing to do with children i have no desire for children but fuck that would be my response the same i don't want children but i know if i had one i would love them to death and they would come first it would absolutely (laughs) i would murder everybody if someone hurt might hurt you know harmed my child absolutely Honestly, I I totally understand. They were definitely deliberately trying to evoke those emotions Mm -hmm. during during this. Oh yeah. If this was me, though, I would have been ready to like burn the house down when he lit up his (laughs) cigarette. Like that would be like that first scene when he comes in and he and he lights the cigarette up inside the house. I'd be like, burn it all down. (laughs) Humanity doesn't deserve to live. That's all it would take for me. You talk about original sin. I would have been (laughs) whooping that ass. Yes. For me, I mean, my moment would have come so much earlier in this film. I would have been, I probably would have just left God, honestly, my my husband (laughs) or whatever. I would have just totally left him. My tolerance is not that high. 
if I, I, was... I would have erupted the minute that the man's sons got there. Oh my god! Right? Like, yeah. I would have. I would have been discomforted the moment that he showed up. Yeah. I would have been extremely agitated the minute that his wife showed up. But the minute those sons got there, all hell would have broken loose <laughs> a whole lot quicker. <laughs> I would not have made it that long. I. I would have probably found it in myself to tolerate the the first man, but only because of Ed Harris's natural gravitas. Right? Right. Yeah. Only because he's Ed Harris. I'm like, yeah. Ed Harris, you, you can, can light up a cigarette in my yeah. living room, I guess. But the minute yeah. Michelle... Pfeiffer at her like absolute bitchiness showed up. I would have been loaded oh, my yeah. shotgun. Like, I was done. I'm done. Like if I was God, that would have been it for humanity. Like nope, yeah. you're done. I'm not gonna lie. One of my notes for this movie was just Michelle Pfeiffer is a bitch. <laughs> that was literally oh, yeah. like the third note oh, yeah. for this yeah. movie. I love I love Michelle Pfeiffer by the way. I think she's a yeah. brilliant actor. Oh she my is. god, yeah. her character was such a bitch. I I would have blown And my she played the part perfectly. Like, that would have been it for me. Mm. Absolutely. But she, she was so she disrespectful. She was so disrespectful. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, anything else we want to talk about here? Rudy, is there anything that um, you wanted to talk about that we didn't get to? Um, not really. I, uh, Uh, Sarah, is there anything we wanted to talk? You wanted to talk about that we didn't get. I think I've let my rage out quite enough tonight because yeah. I've been super <laughs> angry about this film. I was so like yeah. angry and anxious throughout the majority of this like two-hour film, you know. And it really, um, it was actually in a way satisfying to be proven that this this actually was worthwhile. You know, of of my anxiety, it was it's totally oh, proven. Yeah true um at the end it wasn't just you know a false film so i actually really appreciate it for that fact even though i i can't say i truly enjoyed it but uh, the the feelings were very honest from beginning mm. to end and i like that because you don't find that very often in the movie so do you guys want to move on to our reviews of the film then? <laughs> um, i i i think we're about at that point okay B-Boy, Brandon. All right. Well, I mean, it goes without saying I chose the movie for a very specific reason, and that is that it is a spectacular film. And I definitely, like I said at the beginning, I needed to redeem myself after last year's travesty, <laughs> <laughs> which I might add, I showed up to take my beating for it. Fuck you, Brandon. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> I was sick, okay? <laughs> Well, Sarah, you get to pick the next one. But, uh, you know, for every every single moment, you know, you you factor in the ramp up of anxiety, the the pitch perfect camera work, the the incredible use of sound, Mm -hmm. the the depth of the allegory on so many aspects and, and the way that they wove them all together. Um, it, it's become one of my favorite movies after watching it twice. 
and and that's a very short list that I can say is something that I can really watch again and again. And even knowing where the movie is going now, I don't feel like I've lost any enjoyment in following the story. If anything, I think I'm picking up on things that I missed the first time around. So I would have to give it six out of five vultures. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> broke the scale, God! I, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I broke the scale. We're just going to have to burn it all down. We can't do that. <laughs> we can't start giving six out of five volts. You think it's the implication there is that that's like a better film than the films we've given five yeah. out of five volts to. And it's not, but anyway. The points uh, are made up and they don't really matter. It's, <laughs> it's an opinion. I don't know. I, I disagree. These are I who's using line. your words, Will. Come on. These are whose line is it anyway, vultures? <laughs> I think that the number of vultures and that, that just the integrity of our rating scale is incredibly important. <laughs> the sanctity of our rating scale is incredibly important. And I'm sure whatever Rudy is about to say <laughs> will underscore my point and not totally contradict yes. it. Yes. <laughs> Rudy. Okay, so um, yeah, I mean, stay the fuck out of my house. And Jennifer Lawrence was barefoot the whole movie. I mean, I don't I'm know. like she was right. Like, <laughs> <laughs> oh god. So uh, yeah, I give this a left null out of five vultures. A what? Out of five? Oh. A left null. Oh, that would okay. Be, uh, that's, oh, uh, that is. It's a mathematical symbol that denotes. I don't know math, uh, Rudy. I don't know math. Okay. I don't either, but I I just <laughs> I had to Google this actually. <laughs> so if you want to know what it is, uh, Google it. A L E P H null as in N U L L. Is that like a null set? Uh, it denotes uh, numbers representing sizes of the infinite set S, the smallest. <laughs> Something. Is it know. is it bad that when you first said it, I thought that you said a left null? <laughs> like hyena people. Oh, okay. Oh. I didn't say like the grassy knoll or <laughs> I, um... anyway. Yeah. I don't know if that's a good score or a bad score because I don't know how I feel about this movie. <laughs> Fair enough. Um now, Rudy, was it a good thing or a bad thing that Jennifer Lawrence was barefoot? I don't know. I don't know how I feel about it. <laughs> <laughs> and so Rudy delivers Schrodinger's review. Yes. Yep. <laughs> uh, Sarah. Oh, my God. I give this two out of five vultures only because I wanted to take medication the entire time I watched this film. <laughs> <laughs> Aside uh, from that, I found it, I found it very entertaining and uh, nuanced, but very, very anxiety inducing, <laughs> but very interesting indeed. Definitely. And I even wanted to watch this since it came out in the theaters last year, actually, but I, I never got around to it. Yeah. So I was got to get an opportunity to really talk about it, actually, and get different opinions. Yeah. I mean, this is definitely a great um, conversation piece. Like, this is a real good mm, coffee. Yeah, absolutely. 
that's one of the other reasons that I wanted to do this one. So, um, my opinion of the movie, I, um, right now, this is my fourth favorite movie of la of 2017. Wow. Um, wow. It, yeah. But I haven't seen Phantom Thread yet, and given <laughs> given my feelings about um, like I'll tell you this: There Will Be Blood is one of my all-time favorite movies. Oh, so if Phantom God. Thread is even close to There Will Be Blood. <laughs> yeah. It's probably getting knocked down to number five. Um, yeah. Oh my God. But, but still, top five with your criteria—that's a statement. Yeah, I mean, it's something. I actually, I'm not going to say what the other four are because what? two, well, the other three are rather, because two out of three are contenders for movies we might do on a Halloween movie marathon podcast. I, I will say that because oh. two of the other three are horror films, question mark. Um, <laughs> anyway, but Intriguing. so with that in mind... I really enjoyed the um, the performances here, as I said, were incredible. I really like the naturalistic way that this is filmed. The fact that it isn't filmed, aside from those jump scares here and there, like a horror movie. It's not CGI heavy. It's very, it feels very earthy and natural and real. And the fact, and that is really important thematically. I really, 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 more than anything else about this movie, and I said this before on the podcast, but I'm going to say it again because it's so important. I really love the fact that this movie does not want you to feel good when you're watching it. I really love the full yes. commitment here to making a movie that's designed to make people feel the worst possible mm. shit. <laughs> like, to feel mm. anxious and disturbed and annoyed like movies are just oh, so afraid to make you feel like anxious but not like oh what's gonna happen next anxious just like ugh, like awkward movies don't like yeah. to make you feel awkward unless they're a comedy right like the sense of escalating tension in this movie that is in no way like thriller tension but just like that awful day-to-day -day tension that we oh, yeah. that at least i experience constantly when i have to interact <laughs> with other living breathing human beings like the full commitment to replicating that on film is great and i love that all of that said the allegorical stuff well thematically consistent and interwoven and like we were saying mm -hmm. gets heavy handed as shit at times <laughs> the environmental messaging was a little bit too straightforward and unambiguous you know how much i hate it when a film gets unambiguous uh and there were a few moments where it was just like okay we get the point let's take a step back and let's just a little bit of subtlety here please so with that in mind um four out of five vultures still oh, wow. very <laughs> respectable really score yeah. <laughs> but um yeah great so uh sarah do you know what movie you want to do this year 
I have absolutely no idea, actually. I'm torn between doing a classic and a very modern film, so I'll have to get back to you on that. <laughs> I'm actually torn between doing a classic and a modern film, yeah. too. Right? Yeah. And yeah. I'm kind of hoping that AJ has already indicated to me that the movie that she would do if she's going to do one is the modern film that I would pick, which would free me up to pick the classic. But oh, I don't know nice. if AJ is going to materialize for the podcast this year. So we'll see. <laughs> I'll, uh, she's... I'll contact her and convince her. I need my Good girl luck power. with that. I need girl power. I need my ginger power, okay? I need my Jerry Halliwell face girl. I, do, I really do. <laughs> so um, anyone want to say anything before we close up shop here? Well, actually, something that you said in your review kind of made me made me think for a second. Like you said, it focuses on that everyday anxiety. Mm. It, it it's kind of a of a, and you're gonna groan when I say this. Oh, I know no. you will. <laughs> it's it's almost like being a tourist into human misery. Oh no! No 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 no! Don't, don't, don't. don't do that. Oh. You don't put that. It's like when they say the name of the movie in the movie. You're not supposed to do that. Oh. And I'm glad AJ is going to be the one editing this because she'll leave that in. Oh, she will. <laughs> I want to. We really like uh, ragged on her in the last podcast, and I want to see how much of that survives the editing process. <laughs> Um, but anyway, so I think that's good. I think we're a good two and a half hours in here, probably, so we can not not too bad for a for a podcast with no non spoiler section. Right, that's I think true. That's idea. That's oh, true. So I think we can say fuck it now, right, guys? Oh, yeah, we can oh, say fuck it. So yeah, fuck that's it. Good. All right. <laughs> <laughs> who, who, who wants to Who wants to give the final fuck it of the podcast? Fuck it! There we go. Should I die? I can't decide.